Welcome to the Grad School Femtoring Podcast, the place for first-gen students of color to prepare for grad school. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Fu, and I will be serving as your femtor, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into and successfully navigate grad school. For over 10 years, I've been helping first-gen students of color get into top grad programs in their field, and I'm really excited to support you on your academic journey too. Before starting today's episode, I have a few quick announcements. The first announcement is that October marks the third year anniversary of the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. I started this podcast three years ago with the sole purpose of recording on frequently asked questions to help support the students that I was working with at the time. As I continued to record, I realized there was actually a strong need for this information to be publicly available. And since then, I've been able to grow the podcast to over 150 episodes. We're close to 160 at this point. We've had over 50 incredible guests. We have had over 40,000 listens. And we are currently streaming in 97 different countries worldwide. I hope that I can continue supporting first-gen students of color through this podcast. I want to keep improving on it. I want it to keep growing. And because of that, I created a podcast listener survey so that you can give me your honest thoughts and feedback on the show so that I can help to improve it. So check out the listener survey. It's in my show notes for today. And if you finish and get to the end, you're going to get a small gift. So check it out if you have a chance, if you want to make a difference in this podcast. And then the other thing, um, the other announcement I have for today is related to the book that I've been co-authoring, which is the Grad School Femtoring Guide, all about how to successfully navigate grad school applications. I have been co-authoring this book with my own femtor, Dr. Miroslava Chavez-Garcia. She and I uh, recently submitted a full book draft to our editors over at UC Press. This is over 300 pages, over 100,000 words, full of tips, tricks, research, testimonials, templates, you name it. A lot of strong emphasis on demystifying higher education. You'll get to learn about whether grad school is right for you, how to apply, and how to set yourself up for success for success once you're in. So if you want more updates on the book, if you want to be the first to pre-order it, definitely sign up for my email newsletter. I'll be sending updates as we get closer to the publication date, which won't be for a little while. <laughs> End of 2023, perhaps sometime in 2024. But as soon as I get more information, y'all will be the first to find out if you're in my newsletter. All right. The last reminder and last announcement is to not forget to submit your podcast reviews. I read podcast reviews on Apple Podcasts all the time. They make a big difference in the availability of the show, helping other people find it. So if you found this show valuable, if you want to share your honest feedback, please do leave a review and 
contact me after that so that we can be in touch. Recently, I've been connecting with folks leaving me reviews and it's been so nice to meet my listeners. So don't be shy, leave a review and be in touch. All right, that's it for our announcements this week and back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Yvette, and today I have an episode dedicated to all the intersectional and interdisciplinary scholars out there. You know who you are. <laughs> Our special guest is Sochil Clare, and she's going to be talking to us all about how she has been carving an intersectional and interdisciplinary path in grad school. Sochil is an Afro-Latina marine biologist and performing artist with Caribbean and Central American heritage. We will discuss her work in theater and film and how she uses it to communicate climate change issues. Her PhD research provides valuable insights on how ecosystems and the fisheries they support are coping with ocean warming and how this could impact daily livelihoods. Sochil will also share her work in using the com combined power of science and storytelling to empower a new generation of diverse ocean explorers. Welcome to the podcast, Sochil. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. Oh, I'm happy to have you here. I feel like, yes, finally, our schedules aligned and we were able to make this work. Yes, <laughs> finally. I know. <laughs> so for folks who, who don't know you, I would love for you to get us started by letting us know a little bit more about who you are, what you do, and maybe a little bit more about your backstory. Yes, so... I come from a family of immigrants, like you mentioned. My mom is from Jamaica and her family immigrated to the United States. Likewise, my dad is from Belize in Central America. And so I have a lot of, you know, Caribbean coastal heritage, as well as Central American heritage, like a mixture of peoples. And all I heard about growing up um, was nature in the way that it was just a part of everyone's lives on both sides of my family. Um, although I grew up in California, most people think, oh, Californians, they spend so much time in the ocean. Uh, that wasn't the case for me. I grew up in Glendale, which is really inland. And it was just kind of growing up in a single parent household where education was the primary thing. And it wasn't until I was much older that I learned how to swim in college. And now I'm happy to say that I spend a lot of time in the oceans. I have that appreciation of coming into being a marine biologist, a person of the sea, like a little bit later in life. But I also carry all of the stories from my family with me uh, into everything that I do, um, including um, my art. And that's one of my primary modes of expression. So yeah, I guess that's a bit about me. Wow, I don't think I realized that you learned to swim as an adult because we have that in common. <laughs> the, the, the growing up in the San Fernando Valley, the SoCal part, single single parent household and also uh, learning to swim as an adult. Although I I am not as brave as you. <laughs> you actually go in and dive you like full-on <laughs> marine biologist. Yeah. So uh, that's really inspiring. I just want to say that because I think that there are a lot of folks out there who might still um, be living under these conditions, who might be dreaming of one day, you know, 
maybe it's just learning to swim. Maybe it's taking it a step further like you and to know that that's a possibility. That's, you know, that it's helpful to hear your, your voice and your experience with that. Yes. Oh, thank you. And yes, whether it's the ocean or just being in nature, um, coming into it a bit later in life is a challenge. And so I was so lucky. I had, uh, I don't like that word lucky, but I was fortunate um, to be surrounded by people who were always cheering me on every step of the way. And I think that was a big part of being able to overcome those fears and also financial hurdles um, that come yes. with trying to be in nature. There's so many barriers and financial tends to be the main one for many people of color in the United States. So that was huge, having a lot of people in my corner pointing to sources of grants and little small scholarships just to get, you know, get me started. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that's true too. That's a big barrier saving access to pools access. To, if you're trying to learn to scuba dive, like that's not cheap Right. <laughs> access to yeah. equipment. Yeah. I actually, you know, you've, you've already started to hint at this with talking about your background and mentioning more about your intersectional identity um, about, you know, what it's like kind of being Afro-Latina, but then also your interests are very interdisciplinary. So I would love to hear more about um, how you interpret these terms and how they influence your work. Yes. And so I guess when I think about performing arts, performance, all of that is like narrative and storytelling. And I know that at least for me, I learned science through stories I you know identified with nature through the many different stories of the animals that live within that you know scientifically and then also you know otherwise so I guess since we learn through stories for me it was okay so to communicate science making it relatable to people who may not feel that science is for them um, storytelling is the way to go. And so that's kind of how I started to frame my outlook on being a marine biologist is not only doing the science, but finding the place where we humans can really feel that it's also our story. The, the planet's journey right now is our journey. Right, right. Um, that storytelling aspect, I think, is what... Um makes it really relatable, you know, in terms of the work that you do. I know that you have a performing arts background and then you also are pursuing marine biology. And so, how, I mean, can you tell us how you got to those? Two? I mean, I, I, I get the marine biology part now, but where, where does the performing arts part come from? Or how did you get yes. to that? And so I came into science as a theater artist first. I knew from a very early age, it was the only thing that I could, that I always did. Um, oh. That was always consistent. My whole life was performing. And so I was always in plays. I directed plays. I wrote plays in production. So anything that had to do with theater, I had my hands in it. Um, and that's something that I was like, well, this is a part of me, but also my very strong like fascination with marine biology was a part of me from very young. So I never really decided, you know, I had so much pressure 
to pick one, you know, that yes. was every counselor was saying, pick one, pick one. It's very difficult to pursue those two very different, different things. Um, but I think by pursuing them at the same time, they enriched the other. So I became a stronger performer by understanding the scientific mind, because there's as much as people think, you know, sometimes performance arts is very floofy, it's in the air. And some of that is true. A lot of performance does take a lot of deep reflection. and Like performance is the analysis of our world. And so as an actor, when I sit down, I have a very similar approach in my mind as a scientist when I sit down and I try to analyze the world before me. So those two minds have always been one for me. And so I think the challenge was communicating that to others and helping yes. them understand that, you know, this is a way of doing things and it it has worked. And I think this is something that I know that I'm going to do. So always having that confidence and always being able to, to share and kind of show the inner workings of like how I see things and then find people who are like, well, I don't really understand that but I want to invite you to show me more about that. And I think those were the people that I found could be really great mentors to me, um, even if they didn't fully get it at the time. You mentioned, so you already started to mention some of the challenges and some of the benefits. So with the benefits, thinking about how they complement and inform each other, but then the challenges of communicating it to others, um, perhaps even receiving some pushback or having you know, hearing from others, encouraging you to pursue one route over the other. So are, are, was that the main or has that been the primary challenge for you in navigating grad school now? Or what are some other challenges and also some benefits that you've gained in pursuing both? I know that you are in a doctoral program right now and you're pursuing marine biology, but also you're still doing your performing arts work. So I'm, I'm curious what your current benefits and challenges are um, as we speak. Yes, and so this is not specific to my current university. It's just how we have divided our universities um, structurally that make it challenging to do interdisciplinary work. So if you are trying to do across humanities to engineering kind of thinking, we make it really difficult to reward people for that kind of out of the box thinking. And the way that looks like um, is different for graduate students versus faculty. So as a graduate student, you have a lot of really strict kind of um, steps and milestones that you need to take to get your PhD. Also, as a new faculty member, you might have those milestones that you do need to also think about too. So I would meet very, you know, synergetic, interesting faculty that would love to sit with me and brainstorm about cross-disciplinary ideas, but then we would both come up with roadblocks within our departments or our commitments that would make it difficult to commit to each other and creating together. Um, and I do see now today that there's a lot of discussion on this. And I think, and I'm seeing that people are really interested in creating more pathways where people are rewarded for this. And I've been able to be a part of a lot of those conversations as I'm moving on 
from my PhD. So it gives me a lot of hope, actually. Um, even most recently, I participated in an environmental film program as a marine biology PhD student and also kind of as an honorary theater arts person on campus. Um, and both of those worlds kind of came together and being able to inform how I work with the, with the film program, right? Because I have all this insight on the local Santa Barbara marine biology and all this insight on storytelling, which we know is essential to get these messages across. And so through a couple of projects that I've worked on lately, I'm seeing that come together and that's been so cool. And so when I move on from my PhD, that's kind of something that I was maybe when I started grad school, a lot more hesitant to lean into. But now that I've had these, pro, you know, these projects under my belt, when I'm say proposing to be, let's say a postdoctoral researcher, my proposals are split evenly between my intention to work with storytelling in marine science and also with my climate science goals. And so now that I've been able to do that, I've had a lot of support. Um, writing about these things is very difficult. And so I know that you guys, um, especially on this podcast, we talk about proposal writing. We talk about what those different um, passports are to move forward in academia. And so because I'm writing about these very different things to an academic audience that isn't used to seeing these two things side by side in an application, I've had to take a lot of time to connect with writing mentors who can help me really make a strong case um, for what I'm trying to accomplish. Yeah. So that's just, those are some of the different ways. You know, your, um, your profile as a graduate school, as a graduate student is particularly, uh, or it stands out to me because when I think about someone who's pursuing interdisciplinary research, I think of folks who are in interdisciplinary PhD programs. And so in your case, you're not in an interdisciplinary program per se, but you're carving it yourself. So you are merging fields in the way that you are, I guess, through the lens that you provide and then the way that you are, you are intentional about the storytelling aspect, the importance of that in your work. And so I think that that's really powerful because it sends a message to other folks who are interested in applying to graduate school that they too can carve their own path, even if it's not laid out, even if the foundation is not there when they're looking and applying to graduate programs, there is a possibility. Yes, they might find some barriers. It might be challenging. There might be some pushback, but um, if you make a strong case, um, there's definitely that, I guess I would say, I, it's, you know, it's discipline specific, but there are, there are more options than what you just see at face value when you look at Dr. Burns. When you were applying to graduate school, I'm curious about that too. Like, how did you approach that? Were you thinking about, oh, I want to work with people who are going to be open to my very kind of different interests or um, where you sit on marine biology and maybe, you know, you weren't 100% sure about integrating the performing arts side of it or the storytelling side of it. So I'm just curious, what, what were your thoughts going into the grad school application process? And then after that, hopefully we can talk about career, the career side of things too, because that's 
also something that folks take into account. And I I um, actually am working with folks right now who have asked me, do I need to stick to applying to one program when I have these different interests? Um, <laughs> and I don't usually recommend just sticking to one program. I recommend looking for the folks and the resources that most align with what, what you want to do. Uh, so I'm curious about, about that, about your grad school kind of decision-making process. And then we can talk a little bit more about what your thoughts are with career planning too. Yes. And so I guess um, first thinking about applying to grad school, all of the advice that I'm sure you give out on this podcast of interview your PIs yes. when you're at the interview is essential, especially for interdisciplinary work. Sometimes you don't lay your cards out on the table fully. Um, you want to survey to see how has this other person on the other side of the table thought already interdisciplinarily. And so, for example, if I were in an interview, I might bring up, you know, well, it's awesome that our department, this department has all of these variety of resources. It seems like given the things that you're trying to accomplish, maybe this department could benefit from working with X department. Had you ever thought about that? Or do you know of anyone who's done that here? And if their answer is no, but wow, that's a cool idea. That shows you right there that you guys can have a conversation where you can grow together, right? Um, however, if you feel like you're inching on area that's uncomfortable for that person, um, for whatever reason, it could give you a hint as to what it means to try to collaborate across departments at that particular university. Right. Um, so that's kind of what I did. And um, as I would get pretty answers that felt like, okay, this person, I can go further. Um, basically what I was saying is that interviewing the person across the table is important. Um, always on my hand, I have five important things on each finger that I'm thinking about. Um, for me, it was diversity <laughs> first, yes. um, access to resources for the kinds of research that I want to do. And thirdly, it was like collaboration. How open is this group? Is this department? Are the people that I'm talking to, to talking to folks who have a different perspective? And that's kind of how I navigated a lot of my interviews. Yeah, that I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And <laughs> it's really funny because I actually have an upcoming episode um, that will be released before this one, all about some primary reasons to interview or to reach out and contact prospective professors, in your case, prospective PIs. And that's information that you can only get if you talk to them. You can't make that assumption, just basing it off of what you see on a website or what you, you never really know what direction their future work is going. And so I'm glad that you mentioned that, that the importance of interviewing them and then knowing what your main priorities are. So in your case, it was, you said diversity, uh, collaboration, and then what was the third one? You said diversity, collaboration. And then and resources. So yes. I also, right, because I noticed, especially when I was interviewing, okay, you may have all this interest in collaboration, 
But if I'm going to do all this, let's be honest, extra work in creating mm-hmm. all these bridges between departments, and that's something that kind of goes under the radar in terms of my time as a grad student, it is mostly on me to do and be the ambassador and the liaison of. That means that I will need more resources, if I'm honest, right. um, to support me through this journey that's going to be a little bit more taxing than staying within one disciplinary lane. And so when I'm talking about resources, I mean like financial, I talked a bit about like writing coaches. Can I just, if my PI doesn't understand my, you know, my advisor doesn't understand what I'm trying to do, can I work with someone who's kind of a third party writing coach to help me get better at writing about my interdisciplinary goals before I bring it to them? Um, So that was really important to me that I felt like it was okay, I wouldn't be siloed in this group. You know, that happens a lot in grad school, especially in STEM, where you have only five to 10 potential people in your lab at a time that are in your same career stage. So does that mean that I only have to, in this lab or in this research group or in this program, is it, am I welcome to go essentially talk to other people? Do people feel weird about people who talk to other people? Um, that is something that's kind of like a intuitive check that you can feel like, um, because for me, I needed to talk to other people, quite frankly, um, for not only uh, reasons of scholarship and doing interdisciplinary work, but also finding folks who, um, maybe identified with me more ethnically and culturally, I need that kind of support. And so if I'm adding on interdisciplinary work to the complex array of what already is a PhD, I need to feel like I can talk to people outside of this group, this department. Yeah, I, I, I am hearing what you're saying and I'm curious if you are if you are taking a similar approach in your own career planning, because it's, I can imagine it's a lot of work to carve your own. So this is, this is the way that, that we differ because I was in an interdisciplinary PhD program. I was in theater and performance studies. And so that was embedded in the program. Like that would, we were required to take courses outside of our department. It was part of kind of the structure Um, And in your case, you are the one that's going out and advocating for yourself and making the connections and doing the collaboration. So that's, like you said, added work. And so I'm curious kind of how this experience thus far, and I know you're getting closer to to finishing up your doctorate program. You're you're on the the other side. (laughs) It's not the early years. You're you're getting close to finishing up. So now that, you know, I do feel comfortable asking you this because you are, you know, closer to to your graduation. And so what are your thoughts in terms and approach, yeah, for career planning? Yes, so right now I'm pursuing postdoctoral fellowships. And when I'm um, out there kind of looking to future collaborators, I'm trying to stand on two legs and be really confident in what I've already accomplished, but also understanding that there's some more growth that I definitely want to have. And so to have that growth, I'm looking to see, let's say if it's at um, a postdoctoral position at an academic institution, um, well, how does their media department do? How does their theater <laughs> department do? Um, 
and what I feel at home, uh, kind of just tapping on their doors. Uh, and also a, a little bit of um, kind of testing the waters. I feel like at this stage, when you move into like a postdoctoral position, the idea is that you're supposed to cross pollinate uh, for some of these positions where I'm being, you know, gloriously infected by your ways of thinking. And I'm kind of also pollinating you with some new ways of thinking. And that's a wonderful relationship. So I'm trying, you know, being in the moment even more so than whenever I was interviewing for graduate school and kind of really allowing a, a conversation of growth to happen in these interviews is what I've been really thinking about and seeing if, well, respectfully, um, you know, I really think that you guys could do this better in terms of storytelling and communicating. And it's something that I'm really good at. And I would love to bring that to your group. Is that something that you'd be excited about? Could I mentor your students in that? Um, and usually the response has been very positive. Um, and likewise, okay, there's a lot of things that are going on in the climate biology space that I could stand to learn a little bit more about. And I think by being as a part of this collaboration for a couple of years as a postdoctoral researcher, we could make that happen. So I'm becoming a little bit of an entrepreneur um, and that's been really fun, um, especially because being a performer slash scientist isn't really a space that exists strongly professionally. Um, so aside from, you know, really showing that I have a professional background and that is, is treating myself that way. I think it's funny because in acting class, they would always tell us at a certain point, you're going to need to call yourself an actor and why not do that today? Um, so we have in STEM and, and in a lot of our grad support programs for undergraduates, we call our students rising sophomores, rising seniors. And so I've had to just lean into it. You know, I am a scientific communicator, filmmaker, media maker, and I'm a climate scientist. And this is what I can give you professionally. Um, and so I think by really fully just stepping into the shoes um, has made it easier and trying to find a new career path because I'm embracing the fact that, well, hey, I'm doing it and I am doing it professionally. So yeah, I think academia, unfortunately, makes us sometimes the way that it's traditionally set up with the whole um, tutelage and uh, apprenticeship model. Yes. I think sometimes erases, you can, if you don't remind yourself of your accomplishments, you might find yourself er erasing that identity from yourself mm -hmm. um, if you're not mindful. And so I think that since I really have spent a lot of time in the academic world, it's about being in both spaces at the same time, because in the humanities and sometimes the performing arts disciplines, academia is kind of second. You don't really need to be in the academic wheelhouse to be an excellent philosopher or performer or practitioner of these things. And so having to balance that perspective and being like, well, yeah, I am an expert in some ways, but I'm also learning um, is tricky. So especially if you've been in school, I think I've been in school 
I, I haven't taken a break. So I'm one of those people. <laughs> so it's, it's also um, really checking in and being like, okay, so gee, as you move on, like treat yourself as you want to see yourself, even if you're not where you want to be exactly. That's how you get there. I, uh, I'm actually glad that you mentioned the entrepreneurship part, um, because I, I do think there are some pa parallels in you saying that you're carving your own path and in, you know, in my case, entrepreneurship, pursuing that and having to figure things out as you go. And, and a big thing with entrepreneurship is figuring out your mission, your vision, your values, and being very clear and intentional about what you're going to do and why. And I think that's in many ways what you're doing is you are not allowing the institution and the disciplinary uh, boundaries to limit and, and to constrain and to silo you if you know that maybe your vision, your values, your ideas of what you wanna do out in the world um, may kind of go outside of these these boundaries, and so I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because I do think that that's that's helpful, you know, to rethink how you approach and how you design your own grad school and career path. I, I know we're getting close to wrapping up, so I have just two more questions for you. The second to last question is words of advice. So, do you have any closing words or words of advice for first gen students of color? who are inter interdisciplinary, who are interested in doing things in a different way. Or maybe they too are kind of struggling with kind of, kind of fitting into one mold. Maybe it's because of their interest. Maybe it's also they're, they're, they too have an intersectional identity. What kind of advice would you give them as they approach grad school and, and their careers? Yes, I have two points. One is, Remind yourself every day that living in all the different worlds of your interests interdisciplinarily is actually a wonderful gift. It's so exciting that you're trying something new and celebrate yourself a lot. Uh, dive into the reasons why you love those things a lot and remind yourself of that because graduate school is a process. It's not necessarily who you are and you're bringing yourself to that process, but it's not defining of who you are or who you become. Kind of like a driver's license. You wouldn't be able to be an F1 racer if you didn't have your driver's license. So a PhD is very similar. It's kind of just like a passport to go to the next thing. And to try to get as much as you can out of that experience is the main goal, right? Um, I would say um, also think to the future. The things that you're thinking about, if they're not necessarily already in front of you, very well be in the future a standard and normative thing. So when I was, you know, up against my high school counselor trying to argue for taking theater classes and science classes at the same time, now I'm seeing so many interdisciplinary programs that mesh science communication and the other interests that I have. And so know that the future will likely be very different and that you're preparing yourself for that, to be an expert. When the time comes, 
you will be able to whip out all your fancy cards that you've been working on for a really long time and you'll be wowing everyone. And so that's kind of a plus about thinking ahead. Um, they say that a PhD is going, the topic that you pick your first year, by the time you're done, will be old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be five to six years old or even more than that. So um, that's a plus side for interdisciplinary folks because you're creating something new. Um, so hold on to that because by the time you're done, it'll be like, wow, everyone's going to want to know about it. Oh, that's very cool. You know, uh, time will catch up. And so keep pushing. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I can definitely agree with all of that. Uh, for folks who resonated with what you shared and who would like to stay in touch or connect in some way, shape or form, how can they reach you? They can reach me via my Instagram. That's the handle Sochi Claire, X-O-C-H-I-T-L, Claire, C-L-A-R-E. I'm usually very, 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 very responsive. But if you want to shoot me an email as well, um, just men message your email as a DM and we'll definitely touch base. I'm super excited to hear from you. And I love brainstorming, even if you're not interested in theater and marine biology. Uh, and there's some other mashup of things that you're trying to try, even if you're not interested in marine biology and theater, and if there's a, some other mashup of things that you're trying to try, I'd be happy to brainstorm together and talk more. Great. Well, thank you so much, Sochil, for coming on the show, for sharing your experiences, your knowledge, your wisdom with us today. It was really great hearing from you today. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Femtoring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three ways you can support the show. The first is to make sure you're subscribed and leave a review of the podcast. If you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, you become eligible for a free half-hour coaching session with me. Yes, that's right, one free session. Once you leave a review, you can email me a screenshot and I'll send you a link to sign up. The second way to show your love is to get yourself a copy of my free 15-page grad school femtoring kit, which includes resources on research, organization, grad school, and career prep. Go to gradschoolfemtoring.com slash kit to get it today. The third and last way to support my show is to follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally TikTok with the handle at Grad School Femtoring. Thanks again and until next time. <laughs>